Well, friends, as we get ready to send our high schoolers out on our mission trips, and then we get ready to do three additional weeks of camp for everybody from elementary school all the way up to high school, I think it's important for us to all get on the same page about how we feel about young people in this church. And so I want to do that by talking about 1 Timothy. Let me pray for us, and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. As always, help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. She throws like a girl. Oh, he's just a little boy. Well, you know, millennials. Kids these days. All of these phrases conjure up images of a certain group of people. And with these images comes a whole set of assumptions and, and expectations that we have of them. If, if we say that she throws like a girl, what we mean is that she's weaker. She can't really compete with the boys. If he's just a little boy, then we shouldn't really expect him to behave himself or, or to be kind to others because, you know, boys... If they're millennials, we should anticipate that, you know, they're lost and lazy and pretty clueless. And if we're talking about just kids these days, then what we're implying is that, that this generation is not of equal ilk to the generations that have come before them. So the question is, what do we expect from our young people today? Should we even have expectations of them? Should the church have expectations of them? Scripture says, yes. Yes, we should, and that those expectations should be high. But how we go about that as the body of Christ, how we go about setting up those expectations, that requires the work and effort of all of us across all of the generations to make that possible to keep the kingdom strong. So in the book of 1 Timothy, we have the Apostle Paul, who by this point is a well-established preacher and evangelist. His career, if you will, is going full force. He has set up several very successful churches, traveled extensively, sharing the gospel, giving his own testimony of God at work in his life. He's a busy man. But in the process of all that, he's been mentoring a young man named Timothy, who is preparing to become the leader of a group of followers of his own. Now, Paul knows, Paul knows that this, this has the potential to be a rocky transition because you're going from somebody who's well-established, well-respected, significantly older, to a young man. And that's just not how they do it in the church, right? You have to earn the right. You have to put in your years. You have to sit in that pew year after year after year before you can be a leader in the church. Traditionally, we call upon elders, and, and by elders I mean our chronological elders, to set the example for young people. But Paul does something really interesting in verse 12. He turns the whole thing upside down. And he says, let no one despise you, <clears throat> despise your youth, but you, you Timothy, you young people, you go ahead and you set the example in your speech, in conduct, in your love, in faith, and in purity. 
So Paul is instructing Timothy to set the example, and he knows, he knows that Timothy's going to need to do that because there's going to be a bunch of older people around him just looking at him, waiting, waiting for him to prove that he's not capable of doing it. When we set up stereotypes about people based on their, their race or their age or their gender, what we do is we set them up to fail because we don't have any expectations that they're capable of doing something important for the kingdom of God. If Timothy wanted to hide behind his age, he could because, you know, he's just a young man and nobody expects much out of him. Why not? Why not? Simply because he's young? Church, we need to set the expectations high for our kids because the strength of the kingdom deserves the best effort that every one of us can put forward. And nobody gets a pass because they're too old or too young or too busy. When Pastor Sung and I were in seminary, we had to go through this process called the mid-course assessment. And each student at the seminary had to sit down with three seminary professors and a fellow student, and essentially they got to evaluate our readiness for ministry, both our academics and our theology. Well, I had transferred from Princeton to Columbia in my senior year, and so my mid-course assessment came actually very, very close to graduation. On my evaluation team, I had the fellow student, I had a professor of church history, I had the brand new professor of youth ministry for the seminary, and I had one of the most famous, most recognizable names in Old Testament theology, not just in the country, but in the world today. He's a really, really, really big deal. Well, immediately, this evaluation went sideways because the Old Testament professor leaned back and with the most smug, most arrogant look on his face, he said, so, what are you going to do with yourself? And I, bright-eyed, ready to go, smiled, and I said, youth ministry, I really love teenagers and I want to see them grow in Christ. And he laughed. He laughed this full belly, deep laugh, and then his face turned deathly serious. And they sent me out of the room. Well, this was supposed to be a quick, you know, just rubber stamp sort of thing, and an hour later, I'm still standing outside in the hallway. And when I came back into the room, my fellow student, the two other professors, were white as ghosts. And the Old Testament professor leaned back, and he looked up at me, and he said, young lady, I find it appalling, if not completely reprehensible, that you have seen fit to waste the resources of two of the most prestigious seminaries in the country, all so that you can go and hang out with teenagers. Were it not for the fact that you were so close to graduation, we would fail you right now. Well, at the time, that was devastating. Looking back on it, I realized that evaluation had so little to do with me and everything about the expectations that we have for our young people. We don't expect them to lead the way in the journey of faith. Half the time, we don't even expect them to be part of the church. But we should. We absolutely should. We don't expect them to grow deep in their relationship with Christ but we should. We don't expect them to be the ones to carry the good news of the gospel out into the world, but guess what? 
We should. We should because throughout history, the only way that the gospel message has been passed on from generation to generation is by the expectation that together, all of us would learn the message, write it on our hearts, and live it out with our lives. Now, I realize that not everybody in the room is a teenager. So the question then becomes, well, what does this have to do with the rest of us? Well, in Psalm 71, 18, we read, Even to old age and gray hairs, and not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all of those who will come. So right there in Scripture, the message is for all of us, everybody five and older apparently, that we are to pass on the faith to the next generation. And by pass it on, by pass it on, we have to let go of some of the control that we want to have over the church. The call and work of ministry is for all of us, and we should not expect anything less, which is why in this church we expect We expect our kids to serve. We expect them to serve others. We expect them to work here in the life of the church. They are not the exception to the rule. They are the church with us. And Paul goes on to instruct Timothy in the ways that Timothy can be an example for the believers. He says, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want you to think about this. Think about the opportunities that young people have to be examples of these things. Think about the opportunities that our teenagers have to be an example to their peers. You know, the world expects us old folks to to talk with a certain level of decorum, with, with a limited amount of foul language, with articulation, with purpose to our words. That is not the expectation that the world has for our young people. But why not? Why can't our middle schoolers and our high school students be articulate people? They are not stupid. They are not stupid. They have immense vocabularies that they do not have to reduce themselves down to cuss words and slang to get by. Using profanity, that's just a form of laziness. It doesn't require a whole lot of thought. So why wouldn't we expect our young people to be articulate? So for a young person, for a young person then to walk amongst their peers in a hallway that is filled with students and set an example, that's a profound witness to the power of Christ just in the way that our kids speak. When the young people in this congregation go out into the world, we should expect them to conduct themselves as people who know the living God. In fact, it should be the expectation of the entire church that whenever any of us go out into the world, we would live our lives in a way that says that we know the living God. Well, what does that mean and and what then would that look like? It's more than just being moral. It is. It's more than just being a good person. It's knowing that God requires us to walk humbly, to have mercy, and to do justice. So yes, yes, we are to speak out against injustice in articulate and faith-filled ways, not in just crazy posts on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat. But more than that, we're supposed to be actively 
actively acting upon those words and those convictions, finding ways that we can be out there in the world doing something proactive and positive for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Over in the world of education, there's this great emphasis on the gender gap between boys and girls when it comes to the math and science fields. And, and one of the things I've discovered is there's so many talking heads about this because it's a really easy subject to get on your soapbox about and, and seem like you're very smart and brilliant about this. But amidst all of this noise, all these people who, who say, yeah, yeah, we need girls in math and science, amidst all of this, there's a young woman, her name is Debbie Sterling. And she decided to go out and actually do something that would empower girls at a very early, very young age to be invested in the math and sciences. So she created a company. The company is called Goldie Blocks. That's Jane. This is her first day in church. Do you hear her? Isn't she wonderful? So Debbie, Debbie went out and she created Goldie Blocks. And Goldie Blocks, if you go to their website, their mission statement is that we are going to disrupt the pink aisle. You know what the pink aisle is? The pink aisle is at the toy store with all the girl stuff and the princess stuff and Barbie. And right in the middle of this girl aisle is this kit that teaches little girls as young as four how to do engineering. So she wasn't somebody that just talked about it. She was somebody that actively engaged in changing the world. What if this church was filled with people who went out into the world and actually did things that brought positive attention to the gospel instead of just talking about it on Sunday mornings? Paul is encouraging Timothy, even at a young age, to be the one to lead the way in doing just that. Now, our kids, the, the elementary, middle, and high school kids in this church, have an outreach, have an outreach to this community that far surpasses just about any adult in the room. Because in our youth group, middle and high schools, right here where we live, a conservative estimate of that says that there is a minimum of 8,000 young people each and every single day that the high schoolers and middle schoolers in this room have the potential to introduce to Christ through their example and the way that they lead themselves out in the world. That's the potential that exists from our young people. We've got to let them lead with that. And we need to care about it. We need to be excited about that kind of outreach because 8,000 is a significant, significant number. But here's the thing. We cannot expect our kids to go out and lead without equipping them and giving them some skills first. You can't expect anyone of any age to do that. So Paul, Paul poured himself into Timothy. He taught him the scriptures, not just the words, but the meanings. He shared his own story. He wrestled with Timothy, and then Timothy wrestled with the hard questions. When our young people ask hard questions, questions like, what's the big deal about sex, and why is the church so obsessed with it? Why does it matter if I believe in Jesus as long as I'm a good person? 
Is there really such thing as hell? We as a church, we can't dismiss those questions. We can't push the kids aside and say, you're just being rude and disruptive. You're being combative. These are genuine questions, and they're questions that young people ask all the time, and they're questions that deserve reasonable and well-thought-out answers. If we're not willing to work out that hard stuff with our kids, then they're not going to be equipped to lead, and we're not doing ourselves any favors by not letting them lead. It was my great joy a couple weeks ago to be with the middle schoolers when they had their last meeting of the year. And what I discovered in our middle school group is that it doesn't matter what kind of background a student comes from, doesn't matter what kind of home life they have, doesn't really matter what kind of school they attend. When it comes to faith, when it comes to faith, they are really struggling to understand why does it matter? What is the big deal about this? And you can see that. You can see that in the questions that they ask. They ask very, very deep, very thought-filled, very serious theological questions. It's always been my contention that if you can explain issues of theology to a middle schooler, then you are fully capable of explaining it to anyone. But what's hard, what was really hard about that particular night was that they were coming at us from all sides, right? You're in a room, and you've got one or two adults, but you've got 20-some kids. And every one of them is carrying their big theological question that they want to get worked out. And driving home, what I realized was that, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have loved to have been in that room. He would have loved to have that opportunity to be with the kids but he couldn't do it for all of them. He couldn't. So he did it for one. He mentored one student. If we are serious, church, if we're serious, we're a world, but leaders in the kingdom, then all of us have to go all in. Everybody of all ages has to be in on this, and we got to go one-on-one with our students. Now, we've started that, with the Pray For Me campaign, it is amazing how many adults in this congregation are linked to a specific student invested in that one young person's life. But we've got to keep going because we are gaining more and more students every single week. So I need more and more adults to step up and say, I will be there. I will be involved in their life and I will care about them. Because we don't have the potential to reach 8,000 kids. Our students have the potential. We have the potential to reach our students. So you want to go reach 8,000 kids? Reach our kids first. When Paul talks about paying close attention to the reading of the scriptures, he also talks about exhortation and teaching. Our students become leaders when they read the word, when they can teach the word, and here's the exhortation part, when they can encourage others in the word. Two of our kids have had the same teacher over a two-year span. And this particular teacher went in for surgery at the end of, at the end of this year, and when she went out, I dropped her a note did not mention anything about faith, 
And she wrote me back. And she talked about my daughter. And she talked about one of the other kids in the youth group. And how she knew from the very beginning that these were kids that had a faith. And how much it had meant to her that she had kids that she could count on to be praying for her. Now, I never mentioned it. My daughter didn't mention it. The other student in the youth group never mentioned it. Never said anything about our church. Just lived their lives in a way that had a tremendous witness to a teacher, an adult, young people leading the way. Exhortation is the giving of encouragement so that others can grow in their maturity in Christ. It is often mashed with just general encouragement. Sit down and talk with a middle school or a high school student, and what you're going to discover is that they live in a world where encouragement and kind words and things that are going to lift them up, they're the exception. That's not the rule. That's not their daily experience. So for us as a church to send kids out into the world who are compassionate, who are concerned about what they see happening around them, who look to lift others up and give them hope because they themselves have a hope in Christ, that could be our greatest gift to the kingdom. Our church, our church could impact the kingdom because of our kids and what we do with them. I, I want our kids to know scripture. I do. I want our students to know and love the Bible. But even more than that, I want them to be so profoundly transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit that they live in such a way that other students look at them and want to know what's driving their operating systems. So as a pastor, I expect my students to shine. I look for the students in our youth program and in our elementary program to exceed and to excel, not for their own glory, but because they are so filled with the love of God that it radiates from them. But we got to give them chances to practice that. Every one of the kids needs a chance to practice. And today we're going to commission the high school team, the team that's going on a mission trip to Taylorsville, North Carolina. They're the kickoff for four weeks of camp this summer for kids of all ages. And in one trip, just this one trip, they get to practice compassion, empathy, sharing of scripture, evangelism, discipleship, grace, and theology. I consider high school mission trips an intensive course on how to be leaders for the kingdom by being followers of God. Mission trips teach us that it's not all about us. We don't always get our way, that there is a greater purpose to what we do, and that every action we take has the potential to change the world for good or for evil. Mission trips help us to grasp what it means to fully rely on God and to trust that God will be there even when things don't go the way that we want them to go. And then often, it's usually right about this time each year, somebody will come to me and they will say, well, I don't understand. Why do we have to send the kids so far away? Stop asking that question and start expecting that while they are away, they are preparing themselves for leadership in the school year ahead of them. If we want to see our kids grow in maturity in Christ, 
we've got to teach them to treasure Jesus. Not just to keep the rules. The world spends a ton of time teaching them about the rules and what they can and what they can't do. The church should be teaching them about passion and how to treasure Jesus Christ. We can teach them. We can teach them that he is worth treasuring because he expects them. He expects them to shine like the stars in the heavens, that they are so precious and so worthwhile, they were not created to be ordinary. Not a single student in this room was created to be ordinary. They were created to follow Christ in such a way that others look at their non-ordinariness and deeply want to know what it is that makes them extraordinary. And so to our young people, to the high schoolers going on the mission trip, to the middle schoolers doing surf and serve, to our young ones at day camp, you get to set the example. This is your deal. You get to be the leaders. The reason, the, the reason that Paul used the word despise in this text when he talks about youth is because even back then, even back then, the stereotypes of young people caused us old folks to be really hard-hearted and critical of the younger generation. So as your pastor, I'm expecting you, when you leave town this week, I am expecting you to lead your lives in such a way that if someone was to ever despise any member of my youth group, ever, that that would be their problem, not yours. You lead your life in a way that gives witness to God. And as a church, we have more expectations of you. We are expecting you to ask us some hard questions. We are expecting you to help us refine our own faith. We are expecting you to go out and to show your friends in the world that Jesus Christ is still good news. So may God give us, as a church, a vision for the next generation that glorifies the gospel of Christ, leads thousands of young people to the cross where they're going to find that forgiveness, that brokenhearted humility, that Christ-exalting courage to rebel against such low expectations of them and to do some really hard things. Because maybe, maybe they're leading us in a vision that perhaps is for all of us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, let every student, every student from pre-K to senior year, hear us as we pray to you. We give you thanks for them. We give you thanks for their parents who have introduced them to the church, given them the opportunity to come to know Christ. We thank you for the sacrifices that they make, the choices they make that set them apart in the world. We thank you for their witness, for their energy, for their courage. And we ask that your strength be upon their shoulders in all that they do. Transform them in mighty ways. In your name we pray. Amen.